to the pulpit nominating committee. It is my understanding that you're in the process of searching for a new pastor and I would like to apply for the position. I wished I could say that I'm a terrific preacher, but I can't actually. I suffer, I, 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 suffer, I stutter when I speak and, and, and I'm not really a great speaker at all. I, I wished I could say that I have an impressive educational background, but I can't, no college or seminary. Just the school of hard knocks can I attest to. And I wished I could say that I bring a wealth of experience to the job, but I, I can't. I have never been a pastor before, unless you count the days I spent with my flock of sheep. And I wished I could say that I have wonderful pastoral skills, but I can't. Sometimes I lose my temper, and I have been known to get violent when upset. Once I even killed somebody. But gracious folk like you are, I am certain that you will hold, not hold that against me. I know churches these days want young ministers and want to attract young members. And I wished I could say that I'm young. But I can't. Actually, I'm almost 80 years old. But I still feel young. And when all that which might go against me um, fails, when, when, am I, when I'm applying for your position, I want you to understand this, that I'm applying because I have recently heard the voice of God that spoke to me and told me that I had been chosen to lead you. And I admit, I was a bit reluctant at first, but here I am. And I look forward to hearing from you and leading you in this exciting new future. Sincerely yours. So the pulpit committee chairman, he looked around, he surveyed his committee. Some of them looked especially distraught. Some looked angry. And one of those who was angry spoke up and he said, I'm aghast. Here we are talking about a person who doesn't speak well, is uneducated, inexperienced, arrogant, old, obviously neurotic, an ex-murderer as our pastor. Somebody must be crazy. And he looked at the chairman of the board. The chairperson eyed him and then each in the committee and said, the letter was signed, Moses. Today, Moses is front and center as we begin this new sermon series in between learning to live in the desert. Have you ever lived in the desert? Moses, of course, is a desert dweller with the people of Israel whom he had led out of bondage in Egypt. And today, Moses being front and center, we're going to read an excerpt from his story from Numbers, the 11th chapter. You can turn with me there. But I'm actually going to be reading from Eugene Peterson's version of the 11th chapter of Numbers via Eugene Peterson and the message. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. I just love the way Eugene Peterson puts it. The riffraff among the people had a craving and soon they had the people of Israel whining. Why can't we have meat? We ate fish in Egypt and we got it free to say nothing of the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But nothing tastes good here. All we get is manna, 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 manna. 
And manna was like a seed-like substance with a shiny appearance like resin. The people went around collecting it and ground it between stones or pounded it fine in a mortar. And then they boiled it in a pot and shaped it into cakes. It tasted like a delicacy when cooked in olive oil. And when the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna was right there with it. Moses heard the whining. All those families whining in front of their tents. God's anger blazed up. Moses saw that things were in a bad way. So Moses said to God, Why are you treating me this way? What did I do, ever do, to deserve this? Did I conceive this lot? Was I their mother? So why dump the responsibility of this people on me? Why tell me to carry them around like a nursing mother, carrying them all the way to the land you promised to their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all of these people who are whining at me? Give us meat. We want meat. I can't do this by myself. It's too much. All these people. Is there, if, there, if this is how you intended to treat me, do me a favor. Kill me. I've seen enough. I've had enough. Let me out of here. God said to Moses, Gather together 70 men from among the leaders of Israel, men whom you know to be respected and responsible. Take them to the tent of meeting. I'll meet with you there. I'll come down and I'll speak to you. I'll take some of the spirit that is on you and I'll place it on them. They'll then be able to take some of the load of this people. You won't have to carry the whole thing by yourself. Tell the people, consecrate yourself. Get ready for tomorrow when you're going to eat meat. You've been whining to God. We want meat. Give us meat. We had a better life in Egypt. God has heard your whining. And he's going to give you meat. You're going to eat meat. And it's not just for a day that you'll eat meat, and not two days, or five, or ten, or twenty, but for a whole month you'll eat meat. You're going to eat meat until it comes out of your nostrils. You're going to be so sick of meat that you're going to throw up at the mere mention of meat. And here's why. Because you've rejected God who is right here among you, whining to his face. Oh, why did we ever have to leave Egypt? Believe it or not, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, I love that story, but I especially love the way Eugene Peterson tells it. He really does emphasize the stress. You know, today that's what we're going to be talking about via Moses. I, I don't know that we have a, a, a better portrait of a stressed out leader than you have with Moses in the 11th chapter of Numbers. But a lot of us come here today, leader or not, with a large amount of stress. You know, what is your stress? It probably won't take you long to identify what stresses you out. Perhaps you can even remember talking to God about it. Maybe not exactly the way Moses talked to God. Maybe not in an angry way. 
but you've said, Lord, here I am. What am I to do? I need help. Today we're looking at how the church is called to handle stress. Now Moses had a problem. He was ill prepared to do the job that he had been assigned. But do we think God didn't know that already? God knew exactly who he was tapping out when he tapped out Moses. He knew Moses' strengths. He knew Moses' weaknesses. He knew Moses' past. And yet God chose Moses. And, and, and Moses, here he was, who all he wanted to do was be a, a, a Midian sheep rancher. And, and all of a sudden, God speaks to him and said, I have different plans for you. I want you to go to Pharaoh. You know Pharaoh Moses. You grew up in his uh, uh, palace. Go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And then I want you to lead them out of Egypt into the wilderness, but eventually to the promised land. Now, a few things went wrong with Moses' leadership. For one thing, he got lost, and they wandered, and they wandered in circles. They wandered. And, and I'm told, this is somewhat apocryphal, I guess, uh, but that Moses' wife, Zipporah, said that the reason they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness was because Moses would not stop and ask directions. <laughs> I don't know. But I do know that it wasn't only about getting lost, but they also ran out of food. And that's what presents the problem that we read about today. They didn't have food or the kind of food they had they didn't like. They wanted more. They wanted meat. And finally, the people on tour with Moses, they started to complain. Now, I've seen speculations that we're talking about literally tens of thousands of people who are wandering in the wilderness with Moses, and they all start to complain. But not only that, they start to cry. And they start to cry outside their tents. They want Moses to really appreciate it. So all night they're outside their tents whining and crying about not having meat. And how much better they had it in captivity in Egypt. It's more than Moses can take. He gets so stressed out that he complains to God. Why have you done this to me? Am I the mother or the father of these people are they my responsibility he knew the answer to that he, and he said to God I can't handle this anymore will you please do something now, now it's at that point that I hope many of us can relate have we been to a point that the stress has gotten so huge in our lives that we have actually said to God God do something. I can't do this by myself. You see, that is exactly what we're called to see first of all in this story, that the mark of a Christian, one in the Judeo-Christian tradition, is to be one who reaches that point better sooner than later of saying, God, I need help. I need you to do something. That, that's not a sign of weakness. That's actually a, a, a really a, a sign of strength. You know, in psychology, there's a concept that's called heroic ego. 
And the heroic ego is the person who thinks that she or he has to do it all themselves. Now I'm told, I don't know if I've experienced this before, but this is typically a problem that people of the male gender tend to experience more than others. That men are conditioned by culture to want to handle things by themselves, to be more independent, and therefore to take more on themselves. I don't know what they're talking about. But I have seen women who also suffer from this heroic ego as well and take on too much and don't seem to think that they need any assistance from God or anyone else. For turning to somebody else is a sign of weakness, so we just don't do that. So we shoulder the burden as long as we can take it until we get to that point that we even find ourselves beaten down to our knees saying, God, do something. Much less turn to another Christian sister or brother and say, I need help. I can't do this myself. You know, the church is never was never meant to be a one-man or a one-woman show. We, we need to get that real clear. That we're not meant to handle stress by ourselves. We're, we're meant to share stress first with God and then to listen to how God leads us because oftentimes God leads us to another to help shoulder the burden of stress. There's nothing in the Bible that um, uplifts charismatic leaders, even Moses, to the point that we see, wow, that guy did it all on his own. Or how wonderful that woman is. She did it all on her own. No superheroes are needed, just people, leaders who are dependent upon God. That's the biblical tradition. And for all of us, what's needed is that understanding what is the essence of the Christian community. And it's one another ministry. The church was never meant to be a hierarchy. It was always meant to be community. Sharing one another's burdens. So God makes it crystal clear to Moses when Moses has reached his point of no return when he's hit the the tilt button and here is Moses and Moses hears from God get 70 of the elders take them to the tent of meeting and I'll meet you there and I'll take some of the spirit I put on you and I will put it on them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to bear the burden alone you know there's a tradition in the church the tradition of laying on of hands it's meant to be a symbol about how the spirit of god is is actually going on this person through the laying on of hands it's an extension of how god is pouring out his spirit on that one whom you're anointing with the laying on of hands. And Sarah experienced that this week. And Scott and Reagan experienced that. It's that understanding of the power that God gives to share the burdens of the people 
is given to you. But just a few weeks ago, we laid hands on our confirmands, our seventh graders, who gathered right here in this chancel area. And we laid hands on them, and, and we extended to them that understanding that as they have professed their faith in Jesus Christ, that the power of the Holy Spirit will walk with them, will guide them, that they are not alone, that God's Spirit is with them. And all of those whose hands were on them are but extensions of the larger congregation who also took a vow will be here for you as well. But all of us who are Christian have been baptized. And through baptism, the laying on of hands was done for all of us. And therefore, we, whether we were a little baby or a youth or an adult, whether we were immersed or sprinkled or had water poured on us, the laying on of hands was essential to that baptism. Saying, I'm with you. You're a part of the Christian community that's lifted up to bear one another's burdens. You know, the Reformation brought a completely different understanding 500 years ago for what it meant to be the Christian community. It said we're not meant to be a hierarchy. We're meant to be a community, a fellowship. And Martin Luther brought a concept to the table called the priesthood of all believers. And his point was through our baptism we are in fact anointed to have a direct communication with God and to be priests to take care of one another. So in that concept, in the Protestant tradition, we as United Methodists say that's us too. We believe that God's anointing is on all of us. And the Spirit moves us to one another ministry side by side with each other. You know, one of my favorite members of Lover's Lane of all time is a young man who sits in this congregation today. His name is Sam Rachel. Sam Rachel is 17 years old. And I've loved Sam Rachel since he was born. You know, Sam had some tremendous challenges when he was born. And I remember the first several weeks of his life, the way we met Sam was in the hospital, Children's Medical Center. And Dudley Dancer, um, he was one of our pastors who visited Sam nearly every day. And lots of us visited Sam, and we've just loved Sam. And Sam has had a few challenges since then, but who bears the joy of the Lord any better than Sam Rachel? And we love that red-headed champion back there for all that he means to us. You know, I want to say that Denise and Tom, Sam's parents, they've brought Sam to church here to worship, to Sunday school, ever, from the time he could come. And rarely does a Sunday go by that Sam is not here in Sunday school with the children and in the youth group just a few years ago. We confirmed Sam and laid hands on Sam right up there. Sam has sung in this church right there with me. He's quite a singer, has a wonderful voice. You know, I dare say that 
that our, our, our ministry that we call Rays of Light would not be nearly what it is today if it weren't for Sam and those of us who love Sam who have made that ministry expand and extend well beyond Lover's Lane to the greater Dallas area. Sam, we're fans. Now, just a few days ago, Sam was facing a serious surgery at Shriners Hospital here in Dallas. And Sam had some curvature of the spine that they felt, the doctors, that they could, they could correct with two rods, a pretty serious surgery. Five or six hours was what he was looking at. And I remember that early morning getting up and going to see Sam before his surgery. And when I got there, of course, Tom and, and uh, Denise were there with Sam. And Scott Luganville was already there. And there were nurses in the room. And doctors and nurses were going and coming. And one particular nurse said, you know, there's too many people in this room. And two of you are going to have to go. That meant Scott and I were going south. But the nurse was attentive enough to say, but if you'd like to pray, you can pray. So, Sam was having an IV put in his hand, and he was watching all of that procedure with as much calm as you could ever imagine. What a brave guy. And so I turned to Sam while the nurse was still working on Sam, and I said, Sam... Do you want to pray? And he said, yes, dear God, thank you so much for mom and dad. And thank you so much for this nurse that's putting this thing in my hand. And thank you so much for our church. And God, thank you that, that I'm going to get my back straightened up. And, and, you know, everybody was so taken aback. I don't remember all that he said, but I remember how he ended his prayer. He said, and God, thank you for Mr. Incredible. That movie's coming out in just a few days. When's it coming out, Sam? June 15th. Thank you, Sam. And I must admit, while Sam was praying, that went on nearly two minutes. I opened my eyes just to see what was going on. And the nurse was sitting there wide-eyed. Tears coming down. And, and here I was with Scott. He and I were kind of snickering a little bit because both of us thought that it was our job to pray. <laughs> Sam just took it on himself, you know. And he prayed for all of us. He even prayed for Pastor Stan and Pastor Scott. And today, when I got to thinking about Moses and how often I find myself in the complaining business, I've thought of Sam. Now, he just took all of that in stride, but not only that, he took on the mantle of the priesthood. And though we were there to pray for him, he prayed for us. And again, I've been reminded of how much Sam has taught and does teach us. What a blessing it is to be part of a community of faith that sees that we are all anointed. We all have that special anointing from God 
to be the one who bears another's burden. And even when we think that we're there to bear another's burden, we often find ourselves getting our own burdens lifted by another. Sam, we're awfully proud of you. I want us to be reminded today that we, the church, are called not to handle our burdens ourselves, but to turn those burdens over to God. The stress that we have in our lives is not meant to be stress that we shoulder alone. And if we listen to God, what God most often says is, look around. There are other people who love you who are ready to help. They're waiting to be asked. They're wanting to be involved in Christian ministry. And we ministers need to be reminded, don't hog all the ministry. It's meant to be shared. And we're also meant to be the recipients of it. Oftentimes when the Christian community gathers, we sing hymns. Kind of a strange practice actually if you go to thinking about it. Where else do you gather and sing two or three hymns? Sometimes the language a bit antiquated. But we can sort it out and know what it means. But when we think about those hymns we sing, it is our theology and our belief about who we are that we continue to sing. And there's one such hymn that we sing called, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds Our Hearts in Christian Love. You know how it goes. And there's one verse that says, We share each other's woes. Our mutual burdens bear. And often for each other flows. A sympathizing Friends, let's remember who we are, a community that shares one another's burdens. Amen.